0: Well, parent-child dedication is always an exciting time. It's just an exciting time at the beginning of uh, their new lives. I can remember how uh, blessed Emily and I were when our first Nathan came along. And uh, we were at his uh, graduation from the University of Alabama last weekend. And as they say, when you're raising kids, the days are long, but the years are short and I think that's certainly the case, and we thank God for the blessing of family. I also want to say Happy Mother's Day to my mother, Joy, and ask you to pray for her. Uh, She fell recently and uh, broke her shoulder and had to have her shoulder replaced, actually, and uh, they've been joining in with us uh, virtually uh, during these months of the coronavirus situation in particular, and uh, just ask you to lift her up in prayer as she continues her healing process and therapy. Um, but I could not have asked for a more loving mother, and I'm most grateful to God for her. I invite you to turn your Bibles to Second Timothy chapter 1. We're going to look in chapter 1 and chapter 3 today on the significance of mothers. You know, motherhood is God's idea Motherhood does not define the value of a woman. The value of a woman with or without children is defined by the fact that you are created in the image of God. You are redeemed by the grace of Jesus Christ. Yet God designed motherhood in order to love, nurture, grow, and shape children for his glory. And we all know that motherhood has fallen on hard times in our country. About 3.6 million babies were born in the United States last year. Uh, The birth rate is currently only about half of what it was in the 1960s. Uh, We are nearing a 20% deficit of the number of births needed in order just to keep up with our population uh, level from biological growth. I think it's also notable that while we're about 20% short in number of births, to keep up with population growth, and it's even uh, at times worse than that in our state, that this nation aborted between 800,000 and a million babies a year each of the last few years. And then to add to the chaos of what a family is and who a mother is to be and so on, is the nonsense that the culture is currently teaching about gender. You'll remember that Jesus said in Matthew 19 and verse 4, From the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Uh, That has not changed. It cannot be altered. This is God's creative plan, and it remains to be true. Uh, Families in our state are in absolute crisis. Uh, West Virginia has the second highest rate in the nation of grandparents who are raising grandchildren. Uh, we have a number of counties where more than half of the children are being raised uh, by their grandparents, largely due, of course, to the drug crisis that we continue to experience. Further, more than seven thousand two hundred children are currently in the foster care system. So we've got a lot of challenges, and we have a great need for mothers and women who will be a spiritual influence in the lives of those that they're responsible for and that their lives impact. Now, the Bible never states that every woman will be a mother, but it does indicate that all who are should take the role seriously. I believe that the application of motherhood can be biological, it can be adoptive, it can be through fostering, it can certainly be through spiritually influencing Uh, Children in church and in other spheres of influence that you're in in life. And all of those are an opportunity to make a difference for Christ in the lives of children. And we thank God for young families in our church. As I said, we're dedicating nine babies uh, to the Lord today, uh, and there are others who are on the way. And children are a sign of life and health in a church. And I say, the more the better. And uh, we're blessed, and we just pray that we would be a blessing uh, to young families and to children, and and uh, to as many people as we possibly can. So, in these few moments that we have together, let's consider in Scripture the influence of a godly mother and grandmother on a very well-known young man. We're going to consider three central characters in this story. The first is Timothy. His name means "in God's honor." He was the son of a Greek father and a Jewish mother. Uh, He joined the Apostle Paul during one of his later missionary journeys and became a trusted son in the faith and servant of God. In fact, Paul addressed him in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 2 as my true son in the faith. Uh, He was probably only in his late teens or perhaps in his early 20s at the time that uh, he served alongside of Paul and joined him in those missionary journeys. And he served as a representative to several churches and then later as a pastor in Ephesus. He was also with Paul when Paul wrote several of the New Testament letters. The second character in our story is Eunice. Eunice, her name means conquering well, uh, expressing a good or a happy victory. Eunice was the mother of Timothy. Uh, She was a Jewish believer. And according to Acts chapter 16, had been married to a Greek man. And then there's Lois. Her name may mean best or most beautiful. She was the grandmother of Timothy. And while there are numerous grandmothers who are mentioned in the Bible, the word grandmother is used only this once in connection with Lois and with Timothy. Timothy. Let's begin reading here in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3, and this is what the Scripture says. I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did, when I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Remembering your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am convinced, is in you also. So let's think about the significance of mothers and what the Bible teaches us about this particular subject. First of all, when we consider the significance of mothers, the Bible teaches that mothers should be women of sincere faith. Mothers should be women of sincere faith. Now, the Apostle Paul thought much of his spiritual family. Evidently, there were some who had preceded him before the self-righteousness of the Pharisees, some who had genuinely followed after God. And he wrote to Timothy that he constantly was remembering him in his prayers night and day. I'm always taken aback when I, when I read about Paul because it seems like he's either preaching or he's praying. It's just the two things that seem to be so prominent in his life And he says that he's remembering Timothy in his prayers night and day. Maybe the tears that he referenced here are the tears that were shed at their last parting when they had separated. And now Paul is writing back to him. But at any rate, Paul was genuinely happy when he heard of the sincere faith of Timothy. And he recalled the application of that faith. Now where did Timothy's faith come from? Where did this sincere faith come? Uh, take its root? Well, it was due primarily to begin with uh, to his godly upbringing and the influence of his grandmother and his mother. Sincere faith or genuine faith is faith that is not an act. It is genuine. It is not just in appearance. It is real. Timothy and his family came from the ancient city of Lystra, where Paul visited on his first missionary journey. And on his second missionary journey, Paul came to Lystra again. And it was then that he met Timothy, who came to know the Lord Jesus Christ and was dedicated in serving him. And when Paul left Lystra, he took Timothy with him. And the accounts recorded in Acts chapter 16 in the first five verses. So what began in their relationship was a discipleship relationship that would have an impact on the spread of the gospel and the impact on the world for eternity. Now, let's connect this together here. The sincere faith that was imparted to Timothy from infancy, from a child, had taken root in his life, and then it had extended out to where he made a difference in the world for the gospel. And as noted, Timothy's mother and grandmother were believers, but his father was not evidently, at least not at first. Now we ask the question, why would a godly woman of faith, a woman of Jewish heritage, a woman who was a believer, marry a man who was a Greek? After all, the Old Testament is clear that the Jews were not to marry outside of their faith. We can only speculate as to why that was the case. Uh, Maybe she went through a time of rebellion and got married, or maybe there's some other reason that we don't particularly know what that reason is. But it's important to note here that God's best is that a believer marry a believer. I say this particularly for those of you who are younger, who are not yet married, so that you have a framework within which to work. And Second Corinthians 6 and verse 14 says, Do not be yoked together with those who do not believe. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? Now, sometimes one spouse comes to know Jesus after they're already married, or sometimes one of the spouses says all the right things before marriage about their faith and it turns out not to be genuine. Uh, Then at times, uh, believing people are rebellious and they don't follow after the direction of Scripture and they still get married to an unbeliever. But it is always best, when you know what is right, it is always best to honor God and follow his plan for your life. God's still gracious. He can still work. He can still bring about his purposes, but it's always best to follow after what God's word says to us about marriage. Now, what would that have said if, in fact, his father as a Greek was not a believer? What would that have said about their home life? Well, it would tell us, in part, due to the fact That in the Roman world, husbands and the men had particular authority over the family. So that means if his father was unbelieving, then Timothy's home conditions would not have been ideal, spiritually speaking. But in spite of that, his grandmother and his mother either led him to faith or grounded him in their faith influencing his salvation. We're not told specifically if they led him to faith or they laid the groundwork and then he came to faith later on. But at any rate, this sincere faith in his life made a difference. And here's the point that I want to make. God can use the sincere faith of family members to establish an eternal legacy in their children and their grandchildren. Now, please note here that sincere faith is not perfection but it must not be phony. It's not going to be perfect because only Jesus Christ is perfect, but it must not be fake. The opposite of sincere faith is hypocrisy. And hypocrisy is claiming to believe something and then living in a way that is contrary. It's play acting. It's pretending to be something that you are not spiritually speaking. Parents, if you live as hypocrites, If you say that you are a follower of Jesus Christ and your life and your home are not consistent with that, your children will see it from a mile away and you will have a very negative impact on them. And I would say that children who are in the home of someone who is very hypocritical in the way they live out what they say is their faith, is more damaging than children living in a home of people who just flat out don't believe. Because it's more confusing. Hey, if they're lost and they're living like they're lost, everybody knows they're lost. The children know that they're lost as well. So if they come to know what the gospel is all about, they can see the contrast. But if they've got parents who are saying that they believe something and then living entirely, altogether differently, it's going to be very challenging for those children to come to a sincere faith of their own. You see, sincere faith is not of human origin. It's not of human effort. It is from God. And there's also a word of warning to children and grandchildren here. It was not enough that sincere faith was in Timothy's grandmother and mother. It had to be in Timothy also. I can't tell you the times where I've uh, tried to share the gospel in West Virginia, and the first response back to me is, well, my grandpa was a preacher in some particular church somewhere, and they'll tell you about their spiritual heritage uh, from a family member. They'll say, yes, my mama, boy, she was she was a praying mama. I still got her Bible from when she passed, and she loved me so much, but yet they don't know Christ. They're not following Christ. Well, you've got to have this faith for yourself. It doesn't matter what your grandpa did. It doesn't matter how faithful your mama was. It doesn't matter how much your dad or your mom believe and live it. Ultimately, you've got to decide, am I going to follow Jesus Christ with my life? And that's the turning point for every young person. And there comes that point for every one of us. If we grow up in a Christian home, that it can't just be what we've heard and what we've been taught and what other people have said is right. We've got to own it for ourselves. And I believe that sincere faith Seeks God above everything else. Mothers, seek God with your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. Worship God with your life. Sincere faith is going to seek to rest in the grace and the mercy of God. Sincere faith is going to seek God in the good times and the bad times. Did you know that your children are watching you? They want to see how you respond to the circumstances of life. They want to know when it really gets hard and it's really difficult and you don't have the answers immediately and your circumstance is not getting any better. They're looking to know whether or not your faith is sincere, whether or not you believe it and you're leaning on God during those times. And I believe that a sincere faith is a shared faith. Mothers, grandmothers, ladies, do your children know your testimony? If I were to walk up to one of your teenage children in this service today and say, tell me about your mom's testimony and how she came to know Jesus Christ, would they know? Would they have heard it? Is it something that you talk about? That ought to be shared with them so they can know how God has changed your life and how he can change theirs as well. And then I think sincere faith goes together with hope and with love. Mothers, you can live a life that is wholehearted and genuine, that is legacy worthy. And then second, when we consider the significance of mothers, the Bible teaches that mothers should be women of the sacred scriptures. I want us to move now from 2 Timothy chapter 1 over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I want to begin reading in verse 14. This is what the word of God says. But as for you, Continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you, and you know that from infancy, from infancy, you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good Work. Now, if you remember this section of Second Timothy, you'll remember that uh, Paul is setting the stage for what we might anticipate in the last days. He's offering a warning of what would come in those last days, and he's talking about the perilous times that we can expect. And I believe that this describes the present time period that we are living in. How long will it last? Only God knows. But it's certainly reflective of the age that we're in. And he warns him by telling him, listen... People are going to be lovers of themselves and they're going to be lovers of money. They're going to be boasters. They're going to blaspheme. They're going to be disobedient to their parents. They're going to be unthankful and unholy and unloving and unforgiving. They're going to slander people and live without self-control and they're going to despise what is good and they're going to be traitors and they're going to be headstrong. They're going to be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God and they're going to have a form of godliness but they're going to deny its power. And the conclusion is, turn away from such people. Don't have any part of that. It's going to get worse. People are going to deceive other people. And people are going to be deceived. And he says, you better be ready for what's going to come. And Paul writes to Timothy in light of that. And he says, continue in what you have learned and what you firmly believed. I think that's the key point around which this entire section is built. Continue in what you have learned and what you have believed. You know what the word continue means here? It means to abide. It's the same as what John wrote in 1 John 2 and verse 20. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. Abide in what you have learned and believed. Never let these things go. The old Greek scholar A.T. Robertson said that this is an emphatic Contrast. He said Timothy was to strongly set himself against the course that other people were going to take. Now, how was he supposed to set himself against the course that other people were going to take unless he had a foundation, unless he had an anchor, unless he had some roots? How was he going to know it when falsehood and deception came? The only way he can know it is because his grandmother and his mother had imparted the sacred scriptures to him as his heritage. From infancy, he had known them. I mentioned my mother earlier, and I thank God for her. And I had Sunday school teachers before her, but the first Sunday school teacher that I remember was my mother. The first person that I remember reading scripture to me and reading Bible stories to me was my mother. And while those weren't always evident as I was growing up and as I came into early adulthood. That sacred scripture that was implanted in my life has borne out fruit. And what I was taught to believe, I took as my own. And that heritage has led to a life of service to God. And what I would challenge you in is that if you will root your children in the sacred scriptures, then you will give them the ability to understand the difference between the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. There's a big difference between the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. The wisdom of the world is self-centered. It exalts self. It is driven by pride. It is wrapped up in jealousy. It has selfish ambition. But the wisdom of God is innocent and gentle and reasonable and peace-loving and impartial and sincere. James gives that contrast in James chapter 3 and uh, following. And I believe today as the culture is competing for the minds of our children, we've got to give them some tools to work with. And if you don't, the world will own them. Media will own them. Culture will own them. And spiritual principles in the sacred scriptures will not be very important in their lives. Now, Philip Riken in his book, Christian Worldview, defined a worldview in this way. He said, a worldview is the structure of understanding that we use to make sense of our world. So, a worldview is what we presuppose based on what we know. So, it is our way of looking at life. It's the way that we look at life through the lenses of whatever glasses we have put on, it's how we interpret the universe, it's our orientation to reality. And unfortunately, when you look at many who are in the church, their worldview is not nearly as consistent as it ought to be. In fact, there was a research study done by Barna uh, not too long ago among practicing Christians in America. And the goal was to gauge how much the tenets of other worldviews have influenced Christian beliefs. And the findings are startling. 61% of people surveyed agreed with ideas that are rooted in what's called new spirituality, that is contrary to the scripture. 54% of people resonated with postmodernist views. 36% of people surveyed accepted ideas that are associated directly with Marxism. 29% believed ideas that are rooted in secular humanism. And as mothers, you have the opportunity to cultivate the hearts of your children and to cultivate that soil in their heart and to plant the seed of the gospel and teach them to grow. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, most practically, you need to find your identity in who you are as a child of God. And I'm going to say this to some of you because some of you need to hear this. You are not competing for super mom of the year. And further, most who present themselves as supermom are insecure and are trying to project an image and be recognized for how great they are as moms. And you've been called to raise your children and to care for your family as God leads you and know that you are loved by God with an everlasting love. You're not trying to measure up to anybody. You're not trying to prove anything. You are who God made you to be. And all God is calling you to do is to be faithful. And I believe that every mother is unique. You're unique in your personalities, your abilities, your backgrounds, your family status, your education, your financial capacity, your health, and on and on we could go. And God is calling you to be who he created you to be and who he is shaping you to be in Christ. And if you don't hear anything else that I say today, I want you to hear this. Your personal walk with God is the key in pointing the lives of your children toward God and showing them how to walk with him. The most important aspect of your influence on your children is your personal walk with God. And I believe guided by the sacred scriptures, you can share some tremendous gifts with your children. You can share the gift of your prayers. Don't ever underestimate the prayers of a godly mother. When you're praying and you're thinking, is God hearing this? Will God answer this? Will my prayer ever come to pass? God does not always work on our timetable, but God always hears the prayers of his people, and you keep on praying. You pray with those importune prayers that are persistent, that aren't letting up, and you believe that God is listening. You can share with your children the gift of salvation and you can guide them with the gift of truth and you can extend to those children. This is the part you're already good at, a love that is an unconditional love. Friends, there's nothing like the love of a mother. There's nothing like the love of the mother and that love that comes from a mother is a love that ultimately comes from God. And here's the idea, only sincere faith will lead to faithfulness. And the sacred scriptures are profitable for doctrine, telling us what we need to believe about reality and about eternity, for reproof and correction, for showing us when we're wrong, for instruction in righteousness to tell us how to do what is right. And they're profitable profitable because they will benefit us in the things that truly matter. Then I say this to you, and I'm going to close out this message in just a moment. Mothers, you can honor God with your lives by His grace. Be who you, He's called you to be and be faithful. I read an article that uh, was entitled 21 Qualities Strong Women Have That Only Real Men Look For. Let me just warn you, it was not a great list. But among the qualities are this stubborn, independent, blunt, thinks deeply isn't negative and I'd say there were some good ones mixed in there as well but isn't it interesting what women are being taught to value here's a starter list for you in part of what ought to be valued as we've seen from the scripture today a woman of sincere faith a woman who is devoted to the sacred scripture a woman who loves God and others deeply A woman who finds her identity as being created in the image of God as his child, redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ to be who God made you to be. And a woman who, as Proverbs 31 indicates, is of noble character, trustworthy, industrious, watches over her household, and most importantly in that list in Proverbs 31 is a woman who fears the Lord, the most important characteristic of all. So I say to you in closing whether you are a mother biologically, through adoption, through fostering, or spiritually, no one can be all things to all people. That's not what God's calling you to be. And I just want to encourage you and say, rest in the Lord, seek to be faithful rely on his grace and he'll help you and you can make a difference in the world and most importantly you can make a difference in the lives of those who are the closest to you let's bow our heads together for a moment as we pray I don't know where everybody is spiritually here in the building or joining in with us online but God does and maybe there's a person who has not yet come to faith in Jesus Christ, but you know you need to, especially if you're a mom, maybe if your faith is not in him, you've been trying to do it on your own, today would be a good day to come to know Christ. But also wonder, uh, what are the things that you're dealing with right now, struggling with, that are burdens and heavy weights as a family, moms, dads? Especially mothers, as you think about the burdens that are on your heart. God's not called you to take that on your own. He's called you to rest in Him and entrust to Him whatever those needs are, however difficult they might seem. Would you lift those up to Him? Ladies, God has created you in His image, and because of that, you are eternally valuable precious in the sight of God he sent his only son to give us life, life eternal and he gives us his word to guide us toward faithfulness father I thank you that uh, you have loved us with an everlasting love that you've given us the gift of families lord there are no perfect families because we live in a sin fallen world There are pains and disappointments and separations and losses and so many things that weigh heavily on us. And I know in a group this size that there are many, many burdens. We thank you, Father, that you meet us at our point of brokenness and our point of need, our point of disappointment, and you're there to lift us up and to give us hope. I pray that every person in this place today, especially our ladies, would know that they are loved and that they would be filled with an everlasting hope because of who they are in you. God, thank you for this church and uh, for all of our families and for drawing uh, young families here, especially these new babies and the ones that we celebrated in this service, the ones that we'll celebrate later, the ones that are on the way. We pray your richest blessings on their lives the responsibility you've entrusted to us as a church. Help us to be faithful to it. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.